so I'm just trying to mimic nature in order to return it to the glory that it was. Welcome to the 274th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, regenerative agriculture, regional food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. I recently spent several minutes on a blustery spring evening watching water slowly soak into hard, crusted soil that had been newly planted to soybeans in a northeastern Iowa farm field. Or rather, I should say I watched it not soak in. After some 25 minutes of staring at the moisture, pooled in a 6-inch diameter steel ring that had been pounded into the soil as part of an infiltration test, I and members of the Land Stewardship Project's soil health team gave up and walked away. That's bad news. Poor water infiltration erodes soil and robs plants of the moisture they need to thrive. It's a sign of a compacted, unhealthy soil biome. The inability of that 19-acre field to soak up a little moisture was particularly striking, given that just minutes before we had conducted the same infiltration test 100 feet away and experienced dramatically different results. In that case, it took just a few minutes for the equivalent of a 1-inch rainfall to disappear into the ground. That's because the soil was not bare and exposed. It was covered in a lush, four-way mix of cover crops, which were protecting the soil from pounding rains while breaking up compaction with deep root systems. While a 25-head cow-calf herd rotationally grazed the cover crop mix nearby, Scott Holthouse, the farmer who planted those covers, said simply, That's why I'm doing what I'm doing. Scott and his wife, Amanda, recently hosted an LSP pasture walk where they demonstrated how they're utilizing the grazing of cover crops to transition into perennial pasture, a 12-acre field that's been growing corn and soybeans for the past 40 years. In the fall of 2021, they no-till seeded a four-way mix of rye, triticale, barley, and hairy vetch on those highly erodible acres. The mix overwintered, and the Holt Houses started grazing it in mid-May. When I visited the farm soon after the cattle started grazing this spring, the bright green of that verdant mix of covers popped in contrast to the drab browns of all those bare fields in the area that have been tilled up for the planting of corn and soybeans. The Holt House's plan is to rotationally graze the cover crop mix a couple times this summer and then plant more grazing covers later in the growing season. The goal is to not only provide cheap forage for the cattle herd, but to build the soil's biology to the point where it will make a good home for a perennial pasture. While Scott concedes that he's just getting started in building this field's soil health, he's excited to already see reduced erosion and better water infiltration on those acres. Grazing the covers also takes pressure off the permanent pastures that are present on the farm. The Holt Houses, who operate their Oak Creek Pastures Enterprise on Scott's family's land, hope next year to start a similar transition process on that 19 acres of soybean ground that's having problems soaking up moisture. It's part of their overall strategy to create a livestock production enterprise based on perennial, grass-based systems that builds healthy soil and cycle water efficiently. They're already direct marketing beef, pork, broilers, and eggs, raised using adaptive rotational grazing and other regenerative methods. I recently chatted with Scott about his transition of crop ground to perennial grass and the key role building soil health plays in Oak Creek Pastures' future. He started out describing the history of that 12-acre field and what they've been doing to bring it back to life. Yeah, it's one of our more highly erodible fields on the farm. The upper part of the field that's not as steep is, has been row crop for as long as my dad can remember. Uh, the lower part was actually hog pasture up until uh, 1980 when the hogs left the operation and, and 
then they tore out the fence and put it all into row crop. Um, you know, generally with an oat, hay, corn rotation. Been in crop for the last 40 years. And so it was kind of showing the effects, uh, it, it, it sounds like. Yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, there's a better way to, you know, stop the, the erosion on the, the highly till, you know, highly erodible land, and that's by stopping tillage and, and actually getting back into a perennial system. So, yeah, take us a little bit through that more recent history, uh, and it kind of started last fall. Yeah, so last year uh, it was corn, just conventional management, I guess. Uh, probably had a GMO-type corn, sprayed, fertilized, everything. The, the corn was harvested right around the 1st or the 5th of October last year, and on the 12th of October I went in with a no-till drill uh, right into the corn stubble, and I seeded uh, rye, winter trit, winter barley, and hairy vetch. And, and is there a particular reason you picked that kind of a mix, that particular mix? Uh, I'm trying to get my maturities uh, spread out so I have a larger harvest window was the, the biggest reason. Obviously, the vetch was to add some nitrogen fixation to the, the mix, and it's definitely doing that. I only uh, put four pounds of vetch down, uh, but there's quite evident, uh, there's, a good, there's a good catch of it, I would say, of the four pounds, and you, you find them readily, and they're all, all, they were inoculated with rhizobia bacteria and definitely are capturing nitrogen because of the nodulation that you see on the roots. Yeah, that's, I think you'd explained that before, and that's, I think that's really interesting is you're, you did that mix because so that maybe when one species is starting to go by the wayside a little bit as the season advances, maybe another one can come in, and then you still, like you said, kind of extends that grazing season throughout the throughout the growing season a little bit more yeah it's just for you know for my spring you know grazing crop before i get onto my perennial pastures and stuff but yeah that's uh, i think spreading your risk out more or less is is good and I, it's also good to have diversity and maybe you have uh, different winters and you know the same area will have a different winter three years in a row and you don't know which variety could possibly overwinter the best and so that's another reason to more or less it's an insurance policy if one variety obviously rye is is probably the hardiest of all of them and mm -hmm. stuff but uh i'm pretty sure that we have a lot of trit uh coming through in our mix too and the the winter barley i can't really tell which one is <laughs> is the winter barley until it matures more that i can get a better idea on it and by then it's probably all going to be grazed off so the verdict is still out on that Talk a little bit more about, so you're going to graze it one more time, try to get another grazing out of it, and then what's the what's the plan? Like, when would you maybe graze it another time, and then what would be the plan later in the growing, what would you come in there with, with after that? So my intention is to probably graze it here, you know, starting in the next two weeks or so, um, come back in and just do a final graze on it, uh, depending on what you know the regrowth looks like and stuff so we had quite a bit of regrowth on uh, what we grazed two weeks ago there mm -hmm. and it's looking i actually locked them off we had a pretty good shot of rain here uh midweek last week and i took them off of the field because uh, it was just getting pugged up too much and stuff that i didn't uh, didn't feel like i wanted to waste that much feed and so I took them and put them on perennial pasture for a couple of days, and then I got them back out there now just to 
solve that issue, I guess. I would say we're going to get maybe a foot of regrowth on a lot of it, and so it'll probably be a quicker graze the second time across it, but uh, then we'll come back with a sorghum sedan base of a mix, probably with some cowpeas and pearl millet and sunflowers and okra possibly, some sort of clover. I might uh, just use a medium red clover so I have a perennial clover that'll come back in the spring that I can either have a, a grazing crop then or it can com, you know, companion a small grain crop that I would grow. So that planting would be uh, later in June here. Oh, so okay. I would I would say within the next three weeks I'll be getting that seeded, uh, mm-hmm. hopefully to get to grazing by the 1st of August, uh, between the 1st and the 15th of August. More than likely at this point, uh, we probably won't try for a fall grazing crop. If uh, it had been three weeks earlier, we'd probably plant like an oat turnip pea mix after we graze some of that sorghum sedan off that way. But I think this year, a lot of it's going to just stay into, you know, go back into a rye or trit uh, type cereal grain for the winter that I can utilize in the spring. I don't know yet what 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 the plan is, but peas, I guess peas or barley, you know, possibly harvest some grain for my chickens or pigs type of deal. It'll all depend on what the fall is like and what the grazing year turns out to be, I guess. So, so maybe three grazings this year, if that works out? I'm hoping that uh, we can get three times across it, possibly even four. We'll see what, if I do a quick graze on uh, sorghum and pearl millet and then let it utilize, you know, more, let it go the rest of the year to get a fall grazing, a long fall graze off of it. So hit it light the first time and, and then come back in the fall and and strip graze it off that way. So what's your movement like? Do you move the cattle daily or what kind of setup are you doing with that? Yep, we're moving cattle daily. We've got a water line right down the center of the field and we we move a little 50-gallon stock tank right along with them. It's got a float on it and everything and we're just using poly wires for cross fences and whatnot. we got a high tensile wire for the perimeter and uh, down the center of the field is all high tensile wire as well and we just pull pull poly wires off of that just got the field split the long way in half so we grazed down the, the top side and now we're on the bottom side grazing back so right now we're running approximately 150 feet by uh, 200 250 feet uh, is the approximate amount of of daily graze i guess they were we're doing and i guess i just adjust i got posts every 30 feet on the, the center fence and so i just count five posts and go across to my lower fence and if i i feel like they chewed it off too well then i'll give them another post and if i don't feel like they're utilizing enough of it i cut a post back you know so it's it's pretty easy to adjust and you know generally adjusting in a 30 foot by 200 or 250 foot increment what kind of really fascinated me about what you're you're doing here is you're not only doing this to get that short-term feed value you know and uh, uh, get the cattle through the season and all that but this is you have some long-term plans too in that you're really trying to build that long-term soil health using the combination of the cattle and the cover crops with this field and then 
it sounds like you have some longer-term plans for that field as well. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, in the future, I'm going to take the, the lower part of the field and probably uh, go back and do some sort of a tall fescue-type uh, base of a perennial pasture system. And then on the upper part of the field, I'd like to try eastern gamma grass uh, as a summer perennial warm season grass that I can utilize uh, you know in the the early summer and stuff and that's that's kind of my hope is to get it into a perennial grazing system and have more options for grass you know stockpile fescue I don't believe that our pastures that we have now have a lot of fescue uh, in them and I I just see the value in in that stockpiled forage uh, or the, the value in stockpiling fescue mm -hmm. for either winter grazing or even early spring grazing that way. So that's where I'm trying to get some fescue into the, the rotation, I guess, more mm -hmm. or less, so that I can utilize that better in the future. Yeah, and it sounds like your strategy, I mean, this was in, like you said, it was in crops for 40 years, didn't exactly build the soil biology during that time. So this is this is a good way to kind of, for you to, economically you know because you still have to get a return on economic return on that to build that to kind of make be a bridge that transition between the row crop years and the and the kind of the zero biology or very little biology and 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 um, organic matter and then kind of uh, so that when you do put in that perennial pasture it will maybe it's it, it's gonna this the biology is going to be there for it to maybe really take off and be of value for you yeah, that's correct. That's uh, I'm just trying to get the nutrient cycle and the water cycle, and and you know just to cover, you know, start capturing carbon on a you know a daily basis rather than on you know a three month annual basis and stuff. And that's that's kind of where my goal is is to you know get the soil health through keeping that living plant on the on the soil as long as we can and. And then not minimizing my disturbance, obviously, and not tilling, not tilling the soil, and and using no-till methods in order to plant my seeds. What I'm growing as my annual crops, and you know, eventually I'll I'll no-till, you know, a perennial pasture mix into that, and mm -hmm. then we'll. Only thing after that'll be be our grazing management, I guess, is to what we what we get and how we harvest it. I guess yeah. so. I suppose it's a good way to practice your grazing management too. <laughs> Cor correct. It, uh, you'll you'll know if the, the cows will let you know if they need more, or if they need less. Or I mean, it's it it's good to to see see the cattle enjoying themselves, and that's yeah, I there's just nothing more peaceful and calming than watching cattle graze. Mm -hmm. Part of this is also to take pressure off the. You do have some permanent perennial pasture. I don't know how many acres do you have in that pasture. We have approximately twenty acres um, of permanent pasture. It's doing well. I guess it's been under you know my adaptive management here the last year, and and you can really see this year the the impact that that's that's having, and it, it comes back to my management last fall. In, in getting the cattle off of there before uh, they overgrazed it and then letting that thing uh, have a good 45-day rest period before it froze. There's a lot more growth than I had last year on most of it. Uh, we did do some bale grazing on some of it too, so 
that's you know probably a given and I'm really happy with how a lot of it's responding to that practice I think that's only going to get better in those areas but uh, just it's lusher it's taller it's thicker it's just it just looks a lot healthier than it did even a year ago and I, I credit a lot of that to that 45 day rest before before it froze last fall and then I you know grazed that stockpile off after that before I started bale grazing feeding that little bit extra hay last fall is gonna give me a lot more pasture this summer mm-hmm. and stuff so it's you know it's a savings account that you are building when you can and then you're you know taking withdrawing from that account once you get to where you want to be well i bale grazed two different ways last last winter the first way i bale grazed is i put you know on one pasture i chose a particular paddock that i had or strip in my my grazing system that i fed hay bales on so i last november i put out 25 hay bales on that uh, pasture and then i gave them just two bales at a time i used bale rings on and then just electric poly wire in order to fence off two bales and then they'd eat them two bales and after they ate the two bales if there's anything left i just took a pitchfork out there and spread it out in into areas that didn't have you know the impact on them from where the cows were and stuff and so you fill in the, the bare spots more or less in between the bales that didn't get the effect of the manure or the effect of the bale and stuff but then i also on another paddock i just fed two bales at a time and moved across that paddock that way so i would feed generally every week i fed uh, a bale or two bales every week to the the cattle i had and and then they when i needed two more bales i just feed them two more and i just moved the you know the rings to a new spot every time that i was i was feeding but uh, that particular field was a little bit wetter and and stuff and there's no way to apply manure or anything to that field uh, in the summertime it's just it's not the only time you could ever get in there is when it's froze in the winter time and that's that's why i utilized that particular piece the way i did to bring nutrients onto it uh in the winter time mm-hmm. bar none there's no cheaper way to increase fertility on on land than with bale grazing for one thing you got the nutrients that's tied up in that hay that you're probably concentrating more or less on on that particular acre of land so i buy all my hay so i imported all the nutrients from somebody else's farm mm-hmm. there, there's no more efficient way to spread manure and you know utilize those nutrients and you know keep keep your cost of production down you know a profitable level i guess and definitely is a lot uh, better i feel for the environment Uh, you're not utilizing a lot of diesel fuel Mm -hmm. in order to haul that manure back out and i think you capture a lot more of the nutrient value of of your manure as well well, and going back to that 12-acre field with the cover crops that you've been grazing, it, this seems like a really good way to, you said you were able to, you really feel like that permanent pasture is coming along because you were able to give a longer rest period and the bale grazing and that, but also you were able to take pressure off at the spring where you may have been tempted to get the cattle out there and, you know, maybe it's too wet or whatever, but it sounds like that, that this 
12 acre cover crop fields was a really good way to bring that pasture along a little bit more to, to so and get it get some recovery and not put so much pressure on it early in the season obviously front loaded with a lot of forage this spring <laughs> but um, you know by by midsummer we'll be looking for for some more forage I believe and hopefully the you know sorghum sedan pro millets are ready for a light grazing by then so I can give the the perennial pasture a good rest again uh, before I come back onto them you know for a second grazing but soil health is such a key part of this I know this is very early in the process you just started this transition of this field last fall basically but we were out there 10 days ago or so and did a water infiltration test and you know I know it's probably not the where you want it to be eventually but then we compared it to a field across the, the way there that I think had just been planted to soybeans and it's pretty crusted ground and all of that. And yours, we were able, the water did infiltrate after several minutes, but that one across the driveway that was in the soybean and all crusted over and looking pretty hard, I think it was 25 minutes and then we finally pulled the ring because we just we got tired of waiting around. <laughs> so that really, to me, shows the potential there. If you're already getting that kind of infiltration, that that there's a, a lot of potential there. Yeah, I I believe you know the, we can you know I think it was seven minutes it took to infiltrate an inch of water on this no-tilled you know cover crop field that that we had and you know just a hundred feet away in that conventional tilled soybean field I, I think it would have took two hours plus to infiltrate that same inch of water mm-hmm. you know at the rate that it was going. It just shows that what we're doing by not disturbing the soil is improving the water cycle, you know, and capturing all that rain that's so very crucial to everything that that grows on it Mm -hmm. and lives in it and stuff. And that's, I definitely feel like we're we're moving in the right direction. I think after a, a good sorghum sedan, you know, base cover crop this summer, I, I think there'll be even greater improvements in that so even though it's early in the process so you're noticing any other soil health benefits on that 12 acres there uh, since you've kind of started integrating the cover crops and the livestock i definitely think uh, there's more wildlife on that mm. comparative i mean you see a, uh, a lot of birds there's a lot of birds that are utilizing that field i assume for their you know, in, the insects mm-hmm. are a lot greater on that field because I haven't used any synthetics, synthetic fertilizer, any chemicals mm-hmm. or anything in my management of this this land. I guess uh, the only, you know, input I put on was probably two ton of pack manure uh, I spread per acre back in December. But that was all I've done done to the, you know, fertility side of of this field. But no, I think... Uh, you see a lot of earthworms when you when you I mean, you do see earthworms when you're digging in it, mm-hmm. for sure is is a good sign that there's a lot of diversity within the soil system too because they got to have food to eat or they wouldn't be there as well. But uh, just keeping it covered, I think, and you know having a plant that's capturing sunlight and you know having the you know the worms there, the insects there in order to help with your water infiltration and and help with your diversity within the system is i don't think a guy could ask for for much more than uh, 
than that, I mean, just uh, it's nice to go out and hear a lot of birds chirping and singing and mm -hmm. doing all their happy dances. So it feels like the land's kind of coming back to life a little bit. I would I would definitely agree. When you know I'm surrounded by corn and soybean fields, it uh, it's a good it's a good place for for wildlife. No, I, I'm, I'm definitely proud of what I'm doing, I guess, and it, it comes down to uh, following the soil health principles, and that's, you know, keeping, keeping a living root on that soil, minimi minimizing your disturbance, integrating your livestock, not using your chemicals and synthetic fertilizers and different things, but most definitely, you know, I've learned that the driving factors in soil health are capturing sunlight and infiltrating water and that's where i'm i'm focusing my attention on on doing those two things at the ba most basic principle you know is that is just focusing on those two things and whatever you do and you just got to realize that there's you know cause and effects for everything that you do and either you know what you're doing is causing positive effect or a negative effect and I choose to try to skew things towards the positive side of things and and you know not not do things that have negative effects on on the soil. You know nature's a very resilient thing and if you farm in you know God's eyes or nature's eyes there you'll get rewarded. Mm -hmm. yeah. Most definitely. You don't have access to a lot of equipment and a lot of uh, you know capital. And you're also you work a full time off the farm job, so time is limited. You got to you have to save money, you have to save labor. So that's a big part of what you're doing here is trying to use minimal, you know, cut costs, but not do it in a way that's going to cost you in the long term. But you don't have an endless supply of capital and time to to devote to this kind of transition. No, no, we don't uh, have it. So I I think the the quickest way to regenerate soil health is with a with livestock. And in particular, a cow, I mean, it just mimics uh, the way that the buffalo grazed the prairie, which, you know, this land would have been, you know, 400 years ago or 200 years ago, maybe even. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm just trying to mimic nature in order to return it to the glory that it was. For more information on grazing and soil health, including a link to an LSP video showing how to conduct a simple water infiltration test, see the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode 274 at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. Mm -hmm.